Hi everyone and welcome to NJ Confidential with me, Nick Jordan. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting with Jess Hornsby. Jess is founder of Equalital. And if you'd like to find out more about what Jess is talking about today, or indeed more about Jess, you can find her at equalital.com. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to this episode of NJ Confidential. Uh, today, uh, I've got a fantastic guest for you today. I'm going to be speaking with Jess. Hi, Jess. Hello. You're right. Yeah, thanks, Jess. Uh, and uh, Jess is going to be talking about her new venture, uh, her, her passion in life, in fact, as well, uh, and uh, and her new business. Um, but uh, we're also going to be talking about that, the sort of lead up to that um, as well. Um, I'm hoping that uh, that this podcast is going to be less of me and more of Jess, this one. So, um, uh, Jess, we've, we said a quick hello um, Jess, do you want to tell us um, who you are um, and what you're currently doing? Um, yes. And then, I guess, um, uh, it, it's all over to you. Um, if we just kick off where it all started and, and how you managed to get to this brilliant position of having your own business. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Jess and um, I'm a business psychologist. I have worked with you, Nick, <laughs> and we've worked yeah. together. Um, so for the past 12 years, I've worked in corporate life and in the same industry. So I've worked within the aerospace and defense industry or engineering industry, and that's how we met. Um, and now I've uh, quit corporate life and I've just launched my own organization called Equalital. Um, and Equalital is an organization that is looking to, it's a, it's a values-based organization that's looking to create fair and transparent talent uh, processes and um, looking to increase diversity and inclusion across um, all sorts of organizations. So branching out from um, kind of corporate or the, the industry that I'm used to and, and seeing how I can help other maybe smaller or larger or different industry um, organizations to achieve better diversity and inclusion in their organizations in a nutshell. Yeah, and that, that is fantastic. And that is a brilliant nutshell, thank you very much. <laughs> Jess, when when you when you did your uh, degree, um, uh, which must have been what, fifteen years ago, was it? Twelve, oh, fifteen years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know actually. Yeah, so I graduated from my uh, MSc in two thousand and nine, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, so eleven, twelve, yeah, twelve years ago. God. So you must have uh, come in as a graduate into. Uh, into corporate life did you yeah straight off the bat so yeah Yeah. literally uh, before I'd even graduated I'd got a job um at an American defense company and um so I was straight in uh, with a number of my other um fellow MSc students um we all kind of got this job it was a big graduate job there were hundreds of us um so it was straight into corporate life and it was um such (laughs) a different experience to what I'd ever expected before yeah I can imagine so what's the what's the degree uh, in Jess? So uh, occupational psychology. Um, so my, my undergraduate degree is in counselling uh, psychology. And then I'm I yeah. really interested. I, I was working in retail at the time yeah. and it was just a job to kind of fund my studies. Um, but I was so fascinated in the dynamics between the managers and the employees and um, just kind of like, 
I, I just thought, God, you can get so much more out of people by just doing some really simple things. And I started to really analyze those relationships on my Saturday job. <laughs> and yeah, and I right. thought, you know, maybe maybe yeah. occupational business psychology is is more my thing uh, than, than counseling. I absolutely loved studying counseling. I have to say it was okay. a life changing degree. It was it was an amazing degree to do. But I didn't feel that I was ready to be a counsellor or maybe um, it was the right time for me. And so when I was kind of analysing these relationships in my Saturday job, I thought maybe, you know, business psychology is kind of where I want to specialise. So, yeah, I um, I went off for a year and did, did a bit of travelling. But then I, I came back and did a, a master's in occupational psychology. And it was honestly the best decision. I, I absolutely loved it. Right. OK. Did you, because I'm quite interested in this, did you have at that time in your mind where you wanted to go or were you just thinking actually this is a bit more interesting um I don't want to go down the counselling route I'm going to go this route or or were you just thinking I I just like it let's see where it goes I don't think I knew where I wanted to go but I knew the sorts of things I wanted to work on I knew the problems that I wanted to solve so um and those, it's really interesting because those problems still exist in, in certain ways today. So whilst things have moved on, definitely in, in those 12 years, um, one of my first projects was employee engagement. And I look at kind of the, the challenges that we have now around employee engagement, and they're not drastically different to what they, they were back then. But I remember always feeling like the solutions um, that, that we tend to focus on are, are all good things, but they're not necessarily looking at the systems creating lack of engagement. Wow. Um, and it's interesting because that's kind of where I've ended up um, now. So Equalital is focusing on the systemic issues. So um, not looking at the kind of outskirt issues, but the real things that are so deep and embedded and just they're so accepted as just the way we do things that people don't tend to question them and that's that's probably something that's gone with me through my whole career is identifying those real deep systemic things that that are holding organizations back and that's the level at which I like to kind of work at is the the system level and yeah so that's that's kind of what what Equalital has become really because if you think about diversity and inclusion um a lot of there's some really great DNI practitioners out there. They're doing really great things, but I don't see an awful lot of people looking at the the systemic element of yeah. that. Um, so, for example, if I kind of um, bring it, to, so there's a lot of great um, actions happening around putting pronouns on people's LinkedIn, which is great because it yeah. brings awareness. Um, posting your jobs on female job boards. Um, and making sure that you take your names off your CVs, all those kind of actions are really great and and you wouldn't ever want to stop those kind of actions. But I feel like they're maybe missing the the point at which bias creeps into your talent processes, which is way before any of that that starts. So for me, the bias can creep in at the very moment you decide that you need to hire someone or a job exists and the way in which you design that job so yeah. way before you even get to the point of taking people's CVs and, and hiring for it is at the point where you think I need someone and the way you design that job and the systems that you use to help you design that job um, can be hugely, hugely biased. And I don't see an awful lot of um, people out there that are really tackling it at that, that systemic level. Right. So that's where I hope to kind of 
um, bring some science to that um, because th- there is a process and there is a science that yeah. can help manage that bias. So when, uh, uh, Jess, because you, you started talking about bias and um, I mean, is this the kind of thing where, okay, so um, I need a new person. I need a new person for the office. Uh, and I just say to someone, oh, we need a new office girl. Can we, um, can, can we sort something out? Is that where the bias starts? Have I then put bias into people's uh, in, in yeah. people's heads just by I saying, think, oh, I need a new office girl? Is that it then? I think it's even more subtle than that, you know. I, I think, because that would okay. be quite a blatant one, but I think it's even yeah. more subtle than that. I think, um, so... So one of the things that really drives me is it was a quote that I read quite a while ago and it just like hit me. You know, you sometimes read these quotes and you're like, God, that's so true. And it's yeah. it's a quote by Leila Janna and it's, it's talent is equally distributed, but opportunity isn't. Um, and actually, when you start to break that down and you start to understand what that actually means is that um, the way in which these biases start to creep in is as as a manager that's looking for somebody if i say that i need somebody to have a degree for example you're yeah. already cutting out potentially hugely talented people from your from your process um yeah. so you don't even have to say i want a man or a woman it's really really subtle it's around the, the criteria that you're looking for because actually um to have a degree is is an inc- incredible you know it's a it's a privilege you know a lot of people have to have quite a lot of money to have a degree they have to have a supportive yeah. environment around them they have to have been um given and I always talk about it goes back even to when you're four years old and you start school and if you haven't had a good breakfast you can't concentrate and that can really affect the way in which you achieve um, things at school so it's it's really really complicated um, but what what we tend to do is put criteria onto our roles without really understanding whether they actually predict performance at all um, and that's where the system can kind of be against particular groups of people um, there's a guy called uh, Malcolm Gladwell I'm sure lots of people have heard of him he's, he's really famous in, in this space but he yeah. talks about accumulative advantage and that again um, really spoke to me when you when you think about a small a small advantage at a young age can then snowball to huge advantage by the time you come to getting the job um, so if, if I bring it to life again you know if you if you were born into a, a, a family that had enough money to feed you well and then you had a warm home and um, and one of your parents had a great job and they got you some experience at that job some work experience and then you're more likely to get a job because you've got that on your CV and it kind of just snowballs from there um, but actually when you look at job design and, and the way that jobs are changing in the future is that what we are now looking for, and you'll remember this from our organisation when we work together, mm. is that what's really important when it comes to how well you do at your job is the is the what people call the softer skills. I hate the word softer really because it kind of devalues yeah. them, but it's the softer yeah. skills. It's the it's the things like um, your tenacity, your res- um, you know your personality style, and, and how that links to what's required in the role. Um, yeah. And actually, personality is, I've, I've been researching this recently, and personality traits are also equally distributed. You find them everywhere. You find them in all sorts of groups. Um, so what you're looking for is is everywhere. And, and there's, there's a saying that there's a war on talent. I'm sure you've heard of that. It's a real... Um, in the recruitment space, you hear it quite a lot that there's a war on talent. And I, I just don't believe that's true. I believe that talent is actually everywhere. You're just 
maybe not looking in the right places or you're designing your roles to be quite um quite restrictive in terms of the talent the type of talent that you can tap into um right. so yeah that's that's the stuff I'm, I'm super passionate about is is redesigning or rethinking how you design your roles okay. um so yeah that's kind of I could talk about it all day Nick I really could um well, uh, uh, please, uh, don't, don't let me stop you <laughs> at all. That, that, that's the idea. I think the problem is on uh, on a podcast, if you've got uh, um, a silence, it's, uh, uh, hello, what's happened, what's happened? <laughs> it's all right if it was video. Um, yeah. It sounds really, I mean, the thing is, though, is that um, in, in, in my head, um, with a couple of things that you've just said and, and the, uh, the little small examples that you've just given, it seems like something that we can do actually quite easily. Um, am, I, am I just thinking um, in, in the wrong way or, or can it be, uh, you know, at, at, its, at its root, quite simple to, to change attitudes and, and thoughts? Such a good question because, I, I mean, for me, it's, it feels it is simple, um, but actually the complexity gets added when you add human behavior on top of that so people like familiarity they like to design if, if you're somebody that is designing a role you, you want to bring someone into your team there's so many biases within our, ourselves nobody's free of bias um so yeah. you know you kind of you want to bring someone in that maybe is like you and um maybe you got to where you i don't mean you personally Nick, but maybe no. the hiring manager got to where they are because of of, of their privilege and so it feels a bit uncomfortable yeah. to start to challenge some of that stuff so um i think that's what makes it complicated the process in isolation is actually very very simple and um, it's the layers of complexity that you add around the, the people who are responsible for changing this and this and the the, the politics around that that's where it starts to get really complicated um and and that's that's I, i'm also used to that you know there's some great organizations that are raising awareness for bias within organizations um, and i'm sure you've done some of that nick around bias awareness through yeah. through your work um so that is really good I, I know recently there was a it was in the news actually that they started to to stop doing bias training because they felt like it wasn't working and um it was quite alarming because you think okay if it's not working redesign it so it does work don't just just stop it because this stuff is yeah. so important um but I, I think i think we saw the same article i, I think i saw that as well quite recently that just don't do it it's not working you think okay make it work then make what, it work yeah, don't just scrap it if you think it's a good thing and it is a good thing then then make it work um exactly yeah. I, it was a, it was quite yeah. alarming actually that organizations were just um stopping that kind of training because that yeah. that education that awareness is is step one really of, of how you get that like like we just discussed the process is simple it's the it's the bias it's the awareness the self-awareness and the understanding of how these things impact disadvantaged groups and what you're missing out on as an organization one of the really interesting things since i've started equalital is I've really struggled to kind of pitch what I do because you can do it in two ways. You can pitch it to what I believe talks to the kind of the corporates around performance. You know, having a diverse organization is, is good for performance. Your organization, there's loads of research out there that yeah. your, your, your teams yeah. will perform better if they're more diverse. But then there's another edge to it. And I feel really uncomfortable talking in those terms because I'm like, actually, it's just the right thing to do. It's a human thing to do. You know, your organizations should represent the population in terms of 
um, diversity. And if they don't, then it's not right. I shouldn't have to prove that there's a benefit to doing yeah. it. So it's it's like it's, it's become really difficult to 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 articulate what I do. To I think there's some organisations that get it. Um, and, and they're willing to be brave and try these things. And there's other organizations that kind of want to know what's in it for them. And, and um, that's the bit I'm really struggling with because whilst there's loads of benefits in it and that's really well researched and well documented, it yeah. just feels a little bit unhuman to be talking in those terms. So that's something that I'm kind of tackling with how I pitch it, how I present what I do to, to other organizations. Yeah, okay. Um, can I can I can I pick out something? Um, this might be the right time. It might be the wrong time to uh, to pick this out. But um, on your on your website, you talk about um, psychological insights. Mm. Can Can you tell me what that is? What it means? What? Um... Yeah. So so I talked about job design and um, yeah. what we know uh, when it comes to designing jobs. That a lot of the things that we um, are familiar with so somebody's experience uh, somebody's qualifications uh, have they worked in the same industry that's the stuff that we really um, hiring managers tend to feel really comfortable with it's really visible you can see very clearly from somebody's cv uh, where they've worked before what they've done what qualifications they've got but what we actually know is those things aren't actually highly predictive of how someone's going to perform it's probably I'm, I'm sure people listening have all had an experience where somebody seems perfect for the job and you put them in it and actually they 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 flop and it, something doesn't quite work and yeah and and whilst those things can be important I don't want to devalue them um but very often they're quite um volatile like they, they can change you know somebody can go on a training course and suddenly they've got more experience than they had the day before they've learned new skills um, and also jobs can change very quickly so the requirements of a job um today change far more rapidly than they did 10 years ago and um, you know technology is augmenting jobs all the time um, so what your job looks like today is probably going to be quite different to what it might look like in five years time so actually what's what's more predictive of performance or what's more reliable to look at is the deeper, more psychological aspects of success in a role. So um, values, motivations, personality, and touches on behaviors as well. So those things are, um, if you're looking for those things as well as, or even instead of some of the more traditional things that you look for, you're more likely to find um, somebody that is, able to ride out those those bumps in the road in terms of the way roles are changing and adapting over time because those yeah. psychological aspects are much more <laughs> stable your personality is not going to change overnight <laughs> your, your motivations are unlikely to change overnight those things yeah. are much more stable and what I've noticed is that organizations tend to bring people on for the other stuff, you know, the experience, the skills, the qualifications, the more unstable aspects of a person. And then they'll try and train or change the deeper aspects through training. And that yeah. stuff, okay. I mean, that stuff takes years to, to change through coaching, through, um, you know, much different types of training. And, and that takes a lot of dedication to, to work on those deeper things. Whereas actually, if you hire people based on the psychological aspects, and then train the more readily available, ready learnable stuff. Um, it's, it seems like a more sensible approach um, and probably a cheaper approach in terms of how you get somebody okay. up to speed in a role. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. So in, 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 
in organizations now, who who are the people that we need to educate about this? Is, is, is it absolutely everybody? Do you think across an organization? Uh, do you think there's a priority where we should say, right, all, all HR people should know about this? Or uh, um, how do you think we should do that? Yeah, should I, think, we I think I think absolutely everybody should be aware um, because mm. that's just a, a great thing to be aware of biases and things. But I think it's the, the, the people that are responsible for designing the role. So your hiring managers, HR, your leadership. Um, yeah. those kind of communities are probably the ones where they're going to have the biggest impact in terms of bringing this stuff to life. Um, so, yeah, I think they'd probably be a priority in that sense. Hiring managers have a huge role to play, I think. Um, and, and your hiring managers can be any level of um, seniority. You know, they're not always the most senior people. They can be quite junior people hiring. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But, but that, that role for me is, is pivotal in, in creating change. As well as the leadership, obviously, the, the culture has to be right for this stuff to work and, and the leadership need to, to buy into it and also role model it, as, as we all know. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, there's, there's something else that um, I think I picked up. Uh, uh, you, you talked about um, systemic injustices. I was, I was writing some notes down while you were talking, Jess, and I was just trying to read my own writing. I got that right, didn't I? It's systemic yeah. injustices, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how has has that become? Um, uh, I'm going to say more prevalent. Um, has it become more obvious, more prevalent um, during the pandemic? Do you think? I think I think even more widely than than talent and HR and business. Yeah, I think I think it has. I I, I wrote an article on, um, you know, in the first wave of the pandemic, there were more deaths in the north than there were in the south, and you start to think, well, why? What's what's happening there? And, yeah. um, you know, and and you look at the work that Marcus Rashford did, the amazing work, you know, around this free school meals you know and there were there were some groups of people that were really really hit more um that harder in terms of the economic side of the pandemic than others and you know that that became really uh, obvious as the pandemic kind of kind of went on but these things have existed you know for a long time you know and and that that isn't new, but things like the pandemic can really highlight that. In fact, did you? I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen the kind of um, stuff that's come off the back of it. The Queen's speech the other day, and, and the stuff that Boris Johnson is saying afterwards is that they, they're now going to try and tackle um, what's happening in terms of not having to live in the southeast of England to get a good job. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. It, it came out of the Queen's speech that you should be able to live where you grew up and still have a fulfilling career and a fulfilling job and have opportunity available to you and that's something that you know I'm Welsh I've moved to the southeast of England I couldn't probably yeah. couldn't do what I was doing in if I stayed in Wales I probably could now because the pandemic has kind of changed remote working which is brilliant um, yeah. but but you know that shouldn't be the case you shouldn't have to move to to do what you do and um, you know a lot of FTSE 100 companies would rather be in London than um, the north or I think there's one or two FTSE 100 companies in in Wales you know there should be more there should be more opportunity for people to to thrive where they live and not have to to live somewhere else to yeah. to be able to get good, good fulfilling work so that's, uh, great. that's I mean, great that that's being talked about yeah yeah I was just gonna say because uh, uh, Wales and, and the valleys uh, in particular is just a, a place just ripe for growth 
I mean, not just the uh, the land, but also the, you know the, the people, the position, yes. and, and you're just thinking as well if, if they do it right. Um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking and, and uh, you know thinking about the, the well-being of people because it's just a great place to be yeah. uh, as well, as, rather than you know in massive great cities and things like that. So yeah. I've seen a lot recently um, talking about this social economic movement of work mm. and making sure that work is more available and um, making sure that, the, that it's more accessible, that you can, you can yeah. get to these places and that the infrastructure is there to support the growth in those areas. And that, that, for me, it really excites me. And I think that I'd love to see a day where, you know, you, it doesn't matter where you live. You don't have to live near London. You don't have to live within commutable distance of London. Yeah. And, and the pandemic has been just so good for that because you know we we now know that we can hold group sessions on yeah. zoom you know we might prefer to do them face to face but there are times where you don't have to do do things face to face you don't have to live right next to the office anymore so that's great yeah, yeah exactly and and i think this is uh, you know if i guess sometimes people just don't move about do they and they don't they don't see this uh, mm. i think maybe you and i have had the opportunity where we we've, we've been able to you know move around the country or move around the the, the world even um, but I know that because I go back to Wales, uh, you know, once or twice a month. Uh, and if we think of places like Merthyr Tidville, um, mm. I think if, if somebody who was born and, uh, uh, you know, had been in London all the time or, or been in a big city, I don't think they would understand Merthyr. No, um, I mean, they're just massive differences, aren't they? Um, you know, places like that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? The reason I came to London to study was not because I, I didn't do psychology at the time. I, I, I moved. Right. I was a, a dancer. I did a dance degree for a year. Right. And I was like, if I want to be a dancer, I've got to be in London. I've got to be in near London. Um, yeah. And um, that was the reason I moved. And actually, you talk about a cumulative, a cumulative advantage where like that one decision, I was lucky enough to be able to move to London to study dance, mm. didn't end up doing dance, actually wasn't very good at it. Um, <laughs> changed to psychology. I had that like light bulb moment. I was like, I'm yep. not actually very good at this. I think I need to find something I'm better at. Um, yeah. And I just loved psychology, changed to psychology. And then obviously my, my career has gone from there. And I think, God, if I hadn't made that one decision, to move to London to do dance. Like, I don't know where I would, you know, I don't know how my career would have gone or if I hadn't made the decision, which felt like a huge decision at the time to change yeah. from dance, dance to psychology. But I was, you know, lucky enough to be able to have a supportive family that I'd already done a year of a degree and I felt like, God, I'm just wasting a year now. But, you know, I, I was in a fortunate enough position to be able to do that and and, and um, study something else. And I stayed in London. And then, um, so I was already in the Southeast when I decided to kind of study psychology and, and that I was, I was in the hub, you know, of, of business, yeah. business world. And um, so it's interesting that some of my own life decisions, I think, God, I, I wonder if I decided to study in Cardiff University, for example, or yeah. in Cardiff University and studied dance, would I have made the same decision? Would I have had the same opportunities? I don't know. You know, Cardiff is a thriving city and it's, it's, it's one of my favourite cities in the world. Yeah. And I think there's definitely more opportunity in Cardiff than there are in Merthyr Tidville, for example. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Why any business wouldn't want to set up in in Cardiff? I don't know because it's uh, no, the know. best city. <laughs> but the difference is as well is that you hop on a train and it's only it's only an hour Cardiff to Merthyr. Okay. It depends what train you get. If you get the Valley trains, I think it takes about five days. But um, they, are <laughs> quite slow. they stop everywhere. 
yeah, they <laughs> do. Right. Like literally every stop. They do. Uh, they do absolutely. It's every every hundred meters or so, I think. In there, <laughs> uh, on there. So, I thought you were going to start that first bit off there with um, that you were born in Merthyr. <laughs> so, no. <probably> Merthyr. <laughs> <laughs> Newport girl, me. Born so, um, so back on to uh, back onto what you do. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to think back to you know my HR training, and one of the first things you have know, somebody says you want to you know you're going to create a role or you need someone new. The first thing would be I would think about is is it a job analysis. Yeah. Um, is this something that 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 you can talk about? Is this something that you look at uh, in? Yeah. So uh, in that- your world? that is that is the process really job analysis is a a really underrated process Um, and it's a hugely important process and through the job analysis if you do it well and when um, um, you're discussing with hiring managers around what they need what they're looking for in their roles you can start to somebody who's well trained in job analysis should start to um I guess, challenge some of the criteria that the managers are asking for and testing them out, you know, the, testing, do they actually predict performance? And if they don't, don't measure them. You know, if you, yeah. that five years experience predicts performance more so than three years, if you don't know, then stick it to three, stick it to two, or even just take it off. Just be brave, you know, try and hire somebody that doesn't have the experience you typically look for and, and um, be brave, try something different because, um, if you can't prove that it predicts performance, you really shouldn't be putting it in because it is so damaging to um, minority groups and, and it does really um, disadvantage you in terms of the talent that's available to you as a hiring manager. If there's something you think, absolutely, if they haven't got this and I can prove it through re- through data that they need this to, to be successful in this role, brilliant, put it in and it's probably more than likely going to be a psychological aspect if it's more of a skill aspect then start asking the questions around well how long does it take to train this skill do you need the person to be competent on day one or can you can you put them through um some intensive training for three to six months um uh, to get them up to the technical um competence that you need them but bring them higher them based on their deeper kind of more stable personality motivational values based um facets so that that they're if their role changes, then they're more able to um, adapt later on. Um, and one of the things that um, I, I talk a lot about is learning agility. If you hire somebody who's a natural learner, they, they, they thrive in the learning environment, then then you are going to, that is one of the best things you can hire because if the role changes, they're going to adapt, they're going to grow, they're going to learn as the role adapts and, and grows. So that's somebody that's kind of worth their weight in gold. And you, you can kind of be less worried about them having every single technical skill that you think they need because they'll just absorb it they'll learn it and they'll um they'll find a way to find out what they don't know um and and it's really hard if you don't have somebody who who loves learning then it's always like an uphill battle isn't it i'm sure with you know you're in the learning space (laughs) i'm sure you've had people on training who just just don't really want to be there they're not kind of absorbing it and and they don't have that kind of excitement for learning that some people have yeah so yeah, technical skills aren't everything, and I think that's that's um, one of the things I want I want to challenge. They can be exceptionally important, as I said earlier. I don't want to devalue them because they they can be exceptionally important, but they are definitely um, not the be all and end all when it comes to hiring somebody. 
Yeah. I think it was, there was a Google saying, wasn't there? No technical jerks, I think the saying was. But it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how technically brilliant you are if you're not able to um, behave well in a, in a working environment. And we don't, right. okay. yeah. we don't yeah, want to. We don't want it. Yeah. 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 We, we, yeah, we don't want you. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> so one of the things that I want to, uh, to ask you about is going to... Um, what you do and, and, and what you do now um how do how do you add value to a business yeah so um so but with my psychology background um i so i'm doing my chartership at the moment and as part of my chartership i get um supervised so all my practice is supervised and through that process through being supervised for the last five plus years I've learned so much in terms of how you add rigor um, to what you do so for example a lot of organizations will think you know I I'm talking to an organization at the moment for example around um, they have a feeling that their their talent processes are biased or having adverse impact against BAME um, groups and they want to know if that's true and actually what what I can do with my kind of scientific background is understand that from uh, from a scientific perspective so analyze their processes analyze the data and be able to come up with um, a rigorous picture of of how true that is and and where that is actually happening Um, so you know a lot of practitioners will have a hunch maybe that something's happening or they'll go off maybe one part one maybe a, a people survey or um, one element of data. But actually what I do is I'll gather multiple data points. I'll speak to people. I'll interview people. I'll um, do both kind of qualitative and quantitative analysis around that and build up a real, um, I guess, uh, intricate picture of what's going on. Um, and I feel that once you understand the problem um, in depth, you can then start to build solutions that are high impact rather than solutions that maybe aren't addressing the kind of root cause of the problem. So um, that's that's how I feel I can help organizations in terms of root, root cause. You know, what is the root cause of this yeah. issue? And that's where it starts to tap into systemic stuff. You know, usually it's, yeah. it's something deep within a system that's, that's the issue. And, and sometimes what you think is the problem actually isn't the problem at all. It's something much deeper than that that more systemic than that yeah yeah i think the, the way that see the way i look at it is quite a, a, a simplistic view and i think if i've got a damp patch on my wall um if i keep buying paint and painting over it it looks good for a, for a year mm. um but if i actually go out and get the damp proof stuff so kill the systemic part of it um then, then it might actually go away forever or i might actually fix fix something there yeah, exactly. Um, I love it when people put, uh, yeah. put things into simple terms. That is exactly it. Yeah. Is that, I mean, that's. I mean, it is pretty much putting a sticking plaster on something, isn't it? Which eventually becomes unstuck. It's 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 not sticky, is it? Um, yeah. And, and like, I actually, I love the way that you are talking about the, um, um it, it literally getting the root cause, the systemic. Um, yeah. Because yeah, you, you know, somebody's going to come along, and then probably in three years' time, you know, maybe in an organisation, there will be a different manager. Uh, or a different director and they'll say oh let's do this and you go well we did that three years ago you go, well obviously it didn't work let's yeah. do it again but slightly different um, yeah this is the this is the thing we talked at the beginning about employee engagement and i think i see yeah. very similar things happening in the the dni spaces the engagement spaces that a lot of people are doing a lot of the actions around um 
you know a lot of the sticking plaster action, actions I guess and which I don't want to take I, I never want to take away from those because they're always good any action is good um you know but if it's not addressing the root cause then yeah of course you're going to be doing those forever you know you you really want to address the deepest issues um so that you can just put it to bed you don't have to keep going around the houses with it and you know if you don't want to be talking about employee engagement every single year and putting the same actions in place every single year you know you want to know that the actions you're putting in place are high impact um so that you're doing it once and that you're you know or that you're doing it every three to five years you know you're not constantly having to to do it over and over again and and that's where you get the biggest value for money as well you know you don't want to although it might take more time to look at the root cause and it might be more disruptive in, in terms of the actions that get put in place are a bit more disruptive but they're much higher impact and that's kind of the, the type of work that I want to focus on is the high impact work yeah no, no, I, I think you're absolutely right and the yeah the, the saying that it's high impact and that's exactly what it's going to do isn't it so and, and I think you could almost because I know people want numbers don't they and, and, and they want to see facts and figures and that sort of thing but you could say, look, you know, you're going to spend X amount on this over the next five years, doing it once a year, or you're going to spend Y amount doing it just once and making sure that it sticks. Yeah, and it, exactly. And it, but I think it's much wider than that, isn't it? Because you then get um, a more happy workforce, a more that they feel more valued, uh, they feel yeah. more special, and so on. And so on which then means that you're going to get more out of them and so on. So it snowballs, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, diversity breeds diversity because, you know, if you've got a diverse team, they're more likely to hire in a diverse way, you know. And so, so you've, you've got to put the real effort in at the beginning. If, you're, if your teams, if your organisation isn't naturally diverse in the beginning, you do have to put quite a lot of effort in in terms of making sure that you're tackling this stuff. But once you get there, if the systems are built... Um, without adverse impacts for these groups, um, for minority groups, then it should just snowball. It should just sustain itself because diversity. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a very idyllic um, picture because we know that it's 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 very um, pervasive. You know, um, this stuff, and and it's not just within workplaces that um, this kind of systemic bias exists. But you know, that's you've got to have the dream. I mean, you've got to have the vision of one day. You know, we it should just be this way we shouldn't have to hopefully I, I won't need a qualitative to be focusing on things it's focusing on today in the future because yeah. hopefully it will get to a point where it, it doesn't it doesn't need to happen anymore but that is it seems a long way off at the moment that's another thing as well you know when you when you build a startup I, I've been talking to a lot of people in doing really similar work to me and in, in organizations that are also looking at DNI and it's it's really what I've loved about it is it doesn't feel competitive because there's so much work to do in this space it feels really collaborative um so you know in in a space where we're kind of helping organizations achieve the same thing um, we might do it in different ways but um we're kind of talking about how we can combine our offers and how we can combine our services to to help have even higher impact and I, I love that I love the the world of work where it doesn't feel competitive it feels more collaborative yeah yeah far far better okay so um i'm, I'm sorry I, I know i'm jumping about a little bit thinking about um employee engagement so and i think have you been involved with, with uh, employee engagement surveys i think haven't you yeah i've done yeah I've done a lot of and, that and a fair, uh, yeah a fair few yeah do you do you feel that over the the the, the the past few years that people are becoming how can I put it 
uh, more honest uh, in engagement uh, employee engagement surveys? Um, oh, it's really hard to know. I, um, I think employee engagement surveys again are like um, they're really good to do. You don't want to. You always want to be asking for feedback, but it's yeah. not the answer in itself. <laughs> um, and I yeah. think you know, it's engagement surveys are kind of modernising now, aren't they? They're becoming. They're not becoming that kind of annual thing that you do, and it's more about constant conversation, constant listening. And I think that's probably where it needs to get to because it can be quite static if you do it once a year so I think they're they're modernizing and that's what I can see anyway and and hopefully it can be hugely supported by tech you know being able to um not have to do a a survey online but actually you can constantly kind of feedback on how you're doing and how your managers are doing how it feels to work where you work um so yeah, I can't remember the question you asked. I get on my high horse about things like this. And I <laughs> Do you think people have become more work? honest on employee honest. engagement surveys? Do you think? I mean, I mean, the questions have probably changed as well, haven't they? I, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, I hope they're getting more honest. I hope, I hope as tech makes them more accessible, that yeah, people can be more honest in them. Um, I feel like people are. I don't. It's really hard to know how honest people are, but I know that a lot of organizations can place a lot of um emphasis on the survey and maybe less emphasis on on what the survey is telling us and how we actually action that afterwards um, yeah. uh, and i know they can be quite expensive to run they can be quite expensive to um analyze afterwards and um so yeah again i don't want to take away from the surveys they're absolutely brilliant but but it's not an answer in itself and it's not um, as an organisation, you can't say we care about employee engagement because we ask people every year how they feel. It's but what do you do about about that? What what have you done? What are the actions and how are high impact of the actions that you've taken as a result of what people have said? So yeah, I think it's it's a shifting world. I, I wrote an article recently as well about employee engagement. It's becoming a bit of an old term. I think um, it's being replaced by employee experience now, which is slightly broader. It, it talks about every touch point that an employee has with a business and um it, it sounds a lot cooler than employee engagement it's, it definitely is yeah. a bit of a dated term. um no. again it's something it's always good to, to have a finger on the pulse with but yeah, yeah back to the systems <laughs> but <laughs> i think you can see because if you talk about you know an, an employee experience i think that then you, you're going to have possibly some bias that comes in on somebody's experience uh, or, or, you know, an employee's experience, aren't you? Because I'm just, just thinking if you've got a manager and they've got five or six different people, if they, if they connect with them, you know, w- with one or two, you know, differently to others, then people are going to have a different experience, aren't they? Yeah. And also if you, if you link it to, we talked about job analysis earlier. So if you link it to, yeah. um, if you start being brave with the job analysis and, opening up your talent pools to more diverse talent, you've also got to make sure that your organisation is ready to accept a more diverse um, workforce because you can hire diverse people. But if you're, if is that, this is where the inclusion piece comes in, if you're not inclusive in your culture of diverse mindset, yeah. diverse people, then, then they're not going to stay very long. Um, it's not going to feel like a great place to be. So um, I guess that's where it is good to, to understand what your current kind of landscape is around engagement, inclu- inclusion, uh, the culture, um, and that stuff can all be achieved through surveys, through speaking to people, um, uh, and that can help you understand that. 
I, I often, D and I often gets grouped together, um, but actually that the, the solutions for diversity and the solutions for inclusion are quite different, yeah. um, but they're both needed. So it's, um, it's, inter- it's an interesting one. I think that employee experience has to incorporate inclusion and making sure that everybody feels safe, able to contribute, you know, all those kind of psychological safety factors are included. And, and it's great because when I first started in this space, psychological safety wasn't a term that was even used or understood, whereas now I hear it talked about all the time. And um, so things are progressing. Um, but but yeah, at what speed are they progressing? And, and you know, are, are you, how committed are organisations to kind of really changing cultures and, and being quite brave with this stuff to create yeah. real change? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Jess, I'm going to ask you now, um, what is coming up for you? So, you know, what's because it, it's it's fairly new for your business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fairly recent that you've left the corporate world uh, yeah. to, to, to start this up. Um, so um, all exciting, I hope, still. Um, yeah. Yeah, what's, what's up for you? Yeah, so it was really interesting. When I told people that I was leaving the corporate world, um, I got, I kept, people kept calling me brave and it made me so nervous. I was like, oh God, people think I'm mad. <laughs> yeah. And my dad, you know, my dad's, he's going to kill me when he reads this, but uh, when he listens to this, but he's, you know, he's a baby boomer and he's, he's kind of like, oh, you know, this, you've got a really secure job. Why are you leaving? It's a pandemic. Yeah. And I was kind of like, for me, the, the, the decision to leave wasn't, wasn't I wasn't unhappy in my job the decision to leave wasn't really one that I felt was much of a decision because I just felt like it was consuming my thoughts I was kind of like I want to do this and I really want to um see if I can um work with different size organizations different kind of organizations so I've it's been about I think it's been weeks since I've left so I've spent a lot of time just talking to a lot of people understanding uh, different challenges and different sized organizations different um, industries um, as I've got um, I've been doing some blogging which I absolutely love and um, I want to get some guest bloggers on um, so if anyone listens to this and they feel they can kind of contribute particularly around the area of um, education so around how our schools are preparing young people for the shift in kind of how the how jobs are going to be designed in the future and how they augment with technology so I'm really interested in that I'm doing a lot of research around that um, and as I said I'm talking to an organization at the moment around um, analyzing their talent practices and um, hopefully that'll kick start some some work and yeah it's just I'm loving it I'm just loving um, speaking to people who are just so enthusiastic about this topic and learning you know I've still got so much to learn and I'm just learning about um how this stuff is done in other organizations you know my background is very corporate and global you know politically complex environments but how can that be applied in maybe an SME organization or a startup so I'm talking about how you can apply some of this theory and this thinking to startups I'm really interested in startups because I think if you're a startup who's just got some funding to expand then it's so important for you to get the right team together a big corporate can kind of afford to make a few mistakes in their hiring whereas a a startup just can't that'd be the difference between success and failure so as a startup you know how do you make sure you're hiring people and the most diverse talent and the the highest kind of performers in in a a way that's going to bring your business to life and and not kill it (laughs) and so I'm really interested in that so I'm talking um 
to a few people about how I could potentially work with startups as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very busy. Um, I've also got two young kids, which keep me very busy as well. But um, so very busy at the moment and, and just learning and absorbing so much information. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so that's that's just Mondays that you talked about. What do you do for the rest of the week? <laughs> sleep. No, I don't sleep ever. My children don't let me sleep. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic! It's fantastic. Um, it's it. I, I mean, it, I, I think it's it, it, exciting. Um, and yeah, I think people could say, well, it, it is brave if you've got because you, you you sort of get cocooned, don't you, in the corporate world, or you, you're there, you've got a job. Uh, you've had the job for a little while and you get, you know, someone pays money into your bank account once a month yeah. and, and, and you know, deals with things like your pension and your taxes and everything else. And that's fine. Yeah. Somebody's paid for that. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's, um, well, now it's you, uh, you know. So, uh, I mean, I think that's probably where the bravery comes in, isn't it? But Yeah, um, I understand it. Your, it was also making me super nervous. But, but also I think during a pandemic is probably one of the best times to be because organisations yeah. have to make sure they're hiring, you know, right first time so yeah you know, i don't think it's a bad time i graduated during the 2008 crash so right yeah <laughs> i managed to work through that so <laughs> i'm used to these kind of economic crashes it's fine yeah i think that's the that, that, that's the thing isn't it but i mean it's, I, I think it's important that uh, and th- that you do something that you are passionate about and you're very clearly passionate about what, what you do and what you can do for others yeah yeah, definitely. I think that's the main thing, isn't it? I'm, I, it wasn't a decision that was really in my hands because I was I, it, I was to just do this. It was something that, yeah, as I said, it was just consuming my thoughts. I was like, I've got to do it. I'll, I'll regret it if I don't. So, um, yeah, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm prepared yeah. to fail. You know, it might fail. It might it might not. I'm 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 open minded. I'm just giving it everything I've got. Um, you know, and seeing where it goes, I'm, I'm, you know, really open-minded about how this is this is going to pan out. But I'm, I, one thing that I am, as you said, is absolutely super passionate about this topic. And yeah. um, if I can help some organisations create change in the space, then that's it. I'll, I'll feel super good about that. So, yeah, brilliant. Um, Jess, really, really appreciate it. Now, your um, website. What is your website? Yeah, it's equalital.com. You can find me find me on LinkedIn. It's all um, on my on my LinkedIn as well. My website links. Okay, fantastic. Uh, okay, so I will put that in the blurb as well. So for all listeners who just missed that, it's equalitel.com, uh, but I will put it in the blurb uh, along with anything else. We've got some links uh, that you can uh, send across, and uh, Jess, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you or listening to you um, yeah, because so. it's been absolutely, uh, it's, it's been brilliant. And uh, I know we dived around a little bit, uh, but I've really, really enjoyed that chat. Thank I you ever so much. Thanks for giving um, me the Oh, you are very, very welcome. And I'm hoping maybe you'll come back on one of our forums one day uh, to, to, to have a uh, another chat with us. So that's absolutely brilliant. Love it. Thanks, Nick. Uh, yes, uh, thank you very, very much. And uh, thanks then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoyed today's session. If you want to, you can get hold of us on email. It's njconfidential74 at gmail.com. Or you can direct message us on Instagram, njconfidential74. Thanks for listening.